What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales Podcast, 2022, Season 3, Episode 11, I think. Yes. Episode 11. Brought to you today and all year long by our good friends at Outreach.io, Sendoso, and Scratchpad. We appreciate them. Check them out. They can help you sell. And uh, I'm here with my good friend, uh, Richard Harris. Yep. How are you doing, Richard? Good, man. Good to hear, see you. Um, yeah. For those who don't know, Scott is clean shaven. He's got a cross between Bodie from uh, Point Break. Um, let's see, Lance Armstrong. What else What else do you normally get, Scott? Spicoli. Spicoli. I got Spicoli yesterday yeah, from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, yeah. Well, people will have to ch- check out the YouTube video if they yes. are curious and, uh, how ridiculous I am. I look underneath the uh, ridiculous beard. You yeah, know? and we got to, yeah. I want to, I want to plug Outreach a little extra. They've asked us to talk about uh, getting people to go to click.outreach.io slash surf, click.outreach.io slash surf. I think they've got some special thing there. If you're looking to do some stuff with Outreach, please go check them out. It's probably a huge discount. It's like a 90% discount. Right. If exactly. you mentioned surf and sales, right? Yeah. Right. right. Exactly. Well, we are, we are here today with, my friend Alan Newton, COO and founder of a company called Virtue All, and he's based in Windsor these days. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you for having me. It's a it's a real pleasure. It's a treat. I really think that people should watch the YouTube video today, not just to look at my clean shaven face, but you might notice that Alan has strategically today positioned an Everton scarf in his background to wage uh battle against my liverpool scarf and these are crosstown rivals for anybody who doesn't know so well played alan i like to touch tell everybody what virtue all is and what you all are, are building over there yeah thank you and uh, yeah that that was quite strategically placed just for this afternoon so it's funny a uh, bit, bit of banter there um so yeah virtual is all about um connecting people um, sustainably and, and businesses uh, in a profitable way. Um, and we're a product innovation company. So we have um, one product um, where we have a, a good product market fit, which is called Explore, which is all about um, sustainably uh, and virtually exploring spaces and places anywhere in the world. And, and that solves a number of problems, um, particularly from our background. So we'd, we'd been sort of between us, uh, my co-founder, original co-founder and I, Toby, had been in the events and hospitality world for the best part of 15, 20 years. I'd been working for two of the largest agencies in sort of commercial, operational and, and supply chain roles for <clears throat> best part of 15 years. And, and Toby, my business partner, um, the original uh, co-founder, and I'll say original because we've uh, recognized a couple of co-founders since and we might go into that. Um, he, he had been operating venues and, and together we've been talking about these different frustrations and a lot of waste in the industry and the unnecessary travel that actually happens in the travel and events industry and what we could maybe do about it. And, and so, you know, part of our raison d'etre was to, to solve those particular problems. Hello, I, got, I, got a bunch, I got a bunch of questions. You going to go first, Richard? Go ahead. Yeah. I, so I'm going to ask Scott. Scott. Explain to me the pains that virtual solves. I didn't understand that. And you know me, I don't like buzzwords. So what, what are they solving for? Sustainable growth. 
Meaning what though? Like I read well, one of the questions that I had written down was what does sustainable growth mean? Alan, Alan, and I'm doing this just in support of Scott and his Liverpool team. I'm just going to pick on you hardcore today. Um, so <laughs> what does that mean? We don't like buzzwords. Define it. Yeah, that's, that's cool. So um, a, a good example. So event planners um, in big corporate organizations, um, they are, and I, I've been um, managing teams of, of like maybe 30, 40 people and agencies that are um, searching for event venues on behalf of big corporate clients who are spending, you know, literally billions uh, worldwide every year or before the pandemic. And there's so much travel involved and there's a lot of waste in, in terms of doing that. And, and a lot of corporations, a lot of companies are, are resource um, uh shy i guess and and uh, don't have the the budgets necessarily to be sending people off all over the world so there's got to be a better way to do it so our explore product actually helps visualize and, and it's an interactive video which you can sort of dive into to explore uh, places and spaces so it eradicates the need for people to necessarily travel all the time to go and scout venues to site inspect venues so our biggest client hired hotels they've got over 80 um explorers at the moment and and corporate clients and, and agencies will be utilizing that to to view venues get an impression to understand gain knowledge and, and essentially book without having to jump on a plane and do it and there you go so richard if we were going to switch things up at surf and sales and not right. do costa rica Instead of us having to travel to Mexico, Nicaragua, Bali, Australia, Spain, all these places that we get asked to do surf and sales, we can take a virtual tour, right? Therefore, save all the jet fuel and all of the waste, as Alan uh, called it so eloquently, right? You, you got it now, Richard? I got it, except why wouldn't we want to go scout those places, Scott? Well, this is a flaw in my argument that, I, that you have that you have exploited for sure. I, I want to uh, talk about product market fit because I heard you say we've got product market fit with this one product. So, two questions: How do you know when you have product market fit? And what are some of the challenges of having multiple products, but only having one sort of have the fit so far? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And, and maybe to unpack that, I want to try and keep this high level and not go into some of the other facets of sort of how the company has morphed yep, over yep, the sure. last seven years, um, because we do have another product. Um, it has some market fit, but not complete um, and you know we spread ourselves too thin really in terms of like having sort of essentially free products so let's just keep it to this one that I've spoken about so with Explore I think uh, it's been an evolution over time and I've been listening a lot to Wayne Morris and, and uh, you know fellow Brit you had him on not long ago yeah, and yeah. really really great conversation and he talks a lot about this and has done recently and I think a lot of founders do fool themselves and, and I've been asking the question to the team recently as to are we sure we have it because we do we have one big client we have a number of other clients in the hotel space that have used it but we are a premium product and we're quite different to anything else so we've come from a background where we've been in the industry and we've lived the problems for a number of years and you need to be very careful when you launch your business and come in that you're not just still having all that experience and time that you're not making assumptions and, and coming in and creating something where there isn't a need. So 
I think one of the advantages in the roles I was in is I was speaking to our actual target customers. It was my job to speak to them and they were sharing their problems with me literally on a, a daily, weekly basis. And, and I was having quarterly meetings with a lot of the big hotel chains. So sort of really know the problem intimately, but you still gotta be careful even knowing the problem intimately to make sure that when you're bringing a product to market, it does have a fit. And I think at the beginning, we didn't have that and it's been an evolution. So, you know, part of knowing that is, is regularly validating. It's speaking to your customers and it's looking at, you know, net recurring revenue. It's looking at renewal rates um, and continuing to push the bar to understand, but also looking at both sides of the market because that's what we've got here is we have somebody who's buying it, but they're using it obviously for their customer, well, not obviously, but they're using it for their customers. Some, um, some of whom are event planners, some might be people who travel. Um, and I'm just specifically speaking at the moment about hotels, but the, the product um, we're speaking to the luxury yacht owners at the moment, we're speaking to independent schools. We're looking at um, residential estates, multifamily rentals. So there's a whole host of different areas. And, and there are areas where I don't have a, as much expertise myself, but other members of the team might do. So I think really the critical thing is, is that ongoing validation, regularly speaking to your customers. Uh, the renewal rate is, is quite a big thing and, and being able to upsell and add more. And, and all of those things we have, but we do still have difficulties uh, in terms of, um, I guess, resource and, and some of the messaging because there's lower utility, lower cost tools in the marketplace. And some, sometimes there's a tendency with clients that have small budgets, which is quite typical, to just go for the lower costs, lower utility yeah. tool. Yeah, I, can, I, I especially think there's going to be some high-end yachts available soon because people don't know how to get their money out of them anymore and uh, they're being kicked out. So you know, maybe you guys can buy some of those oligarch yachts turn them into your floating, you know, a flotilla. Floating office. Party, right. Floating yeah. office, and then you don't have to pay taxes. Yeah, I want to, I want to dig in. You know, you, you said something earlier about um, not making assumptions. However, there is some level of guesswork when you're trying to figure out product market fit. Is there a different way you look at that word assumption versus data-driven decision or, you know, uh, hypothesis or kind of all the same thing and you're just saying well yeah make some assumptions but then go measure them yeah i think you know when we first started the company with two products which actually overlap and, and that's why we sort of went that way they, they um they work very well together or at least that was our assumption um is you know we did make a lot of assumptions on and in, in terms of building the products and we didn't have so we're not technical founders we're operators and um sort of have been experts in the industry. So we were sort of missing in terms of being a technology company, the technical founders, which we've addressed in terms of bringing in two of the co-founders that have worked for us for, with us for five years and, and have an immense amount of value and experience in, in that space. And what they've been able to teach Toby and I is about validation and how you take assumptions and you go and test them and you fail quickly. And you do that internally without actually building too much. So their product validation process, which is actually called the Maverick Method, uh, focused around their business, Maverick Disruption, um, has been game-changing in terms of the way we think and, and the way we test and validate products. And so can test those assumptions. In the earliest days, we would have made a lot more mistakes having not actually really properly validated that. But we did it in a slightly different way, so it wasn't quite as rigorous and scientific as, as I guess they would to do from, from their experience. And the way we did it was we built a committee and a community of people who were event planners that would use the products, um, particularly the, the event 
venue finding platform, which is called eventopedia.com, which works with that. So that's a venue finding platform that just makes it simple for people to find venues anywhere in the world. And then the, the explore product sort of works with that is, oh, I found the venue. Let me look at what it looks like uh, and engage with it and, and get more knowledge and expertise. So that, that was very useful, but the engagement was difficult because on, on the platform side, there's, there's probably 20 or 30 people trying to do the same thing. It's just in the UK. And then there's one big player. Now, from our perspective, we knew this when we come in, it was a red ocean um, rather than a blue ocean, but we saw a gap in terms of we felt everybody was making the same mistakes and compounding an existing industry problem that we wanted to solve. But it was so let, really- me, let me ask you a question about selling against an incumbent like that. The, you said there's one very large player in the space. Give the people some advice on the best way to sell against an incumbent when to do it how to do it what can you what can you teach us yeah (laughs) well it's an interesting one because i guess it leads into the fact that also one of our issues we're not technical founders but we also weren't salespeople. well in terms of traditional salespeople. so we come from a background where yeah I've, i've sold in other jobs much earlier in my career but i never thought of myself as a salesperson it's not something I wanted to do it wasn't something I enjoyed uh, it was always in an office environment which I think is quite interesting we might go off on a few tangents here but about hybrid working at the moment and I'm an introvert naturally um more on the extroverted scale of introversion for anybody who sort of gets to know me usually goes you're not an introvert I'm like well no I am uh, you know I find it very difficult sometimes to sort of open up conversations I am quite shy until you get to know me and then you can't shut me up but you know, that, that's quite interesting. And, and sort of on that, I guess, before I go too far on a tangent away from the question, is not being salespeople, but having lived the problems, we're incredibly enthusiastic about it. And so when we come to actually selling something that we loved and we're enthusiastic about it, it just becomes natural because you understand the pains. You want to solve a problem because you've worked with these other people that are experiencing the problem and you want to make their lives better. Well, certainly we did. And, and so... <laughs> the mistake I'm going to actually focus on rather, which is a learning, is that we were so passionate about it. We spent far too much time around the pain and actually validating that we knew what the problem was because actually the incumbents had come from, a, and mostly incumbents had come from a background where they were technologists, come into our industry, spotted what they perceived to be a problem that they could solve without actually really understanding the nuances and the complications, but they'd done really well. So the one big company, they've IPO'd twice. They've been taken private once, which is why they've IPO'd again. They're worth a couple of billion dollars. And they're a swear word to almost anybody you speak to in the industry. But they are adding value because it's a two-sided marketplace. So what they do is they add immense value or, or a relatively good amount of value, clearly, to, to big corporations. But they don't to third-party agencies or haven't traditionally. And they don't to a lot of hotels. And they're particularly expensive. But because they were for so long, the I mean, they're 20-odd years old. So it's even legacy technology these days. Um, and you might, I'm not going to diss other companies, you know, they've done exceptionally well. The founder, Reggie, really liked the guy, proper entrepreneurial story. But, you know, like, like with any company, that's how disruption happens, is you look at well, where are the problems, you understand the market, and you, you, you focus on those problems. So, so I guess the learning is, is that's how we sold, is we focused on where the gaps were. We knew from being very close to the hotels and having insider knowledge, what the actual problems were and we sought to go out and develop something that dealt with those problems um which isn't easy 
because there's a yeah. lot of a lot of other incumbents will come in, um, not incumbents, but a lot of other companies will come in around the same time and and sort of who had better access to finance, who had investor networks were getting a lot more money than we were. So they were sort of doing things quicker, but then they were compounding an existing industry problem. So then you get the we're all tarred with the same brush sort of mentality from, from the buyer. And then it just becomes even more difficult to sell. So you, you just got to find those those different ways. And, and we've been successful, you know, but more on the Explore product. I mean, we've done over $6 million in sales. Um, well, you're doing something right selling yeah. against Yeah, so yeah, we are. But, so it's, it's but, you know, there's a, there's a story around Snapchat, <laughs> if I remember correctly, that, you know, they entered into this very competitive social space, right? Like, how are they going to go up against these things? And if I remember the story correct, the one thing that they recognized as a gap was that uh, the like button, that all the social media platforms had a like. And so they specifically exploited the fact that you use us and not have to worry about your likes and your views. And that was a big appeal to the younger generation because they were tired of, it was mentally taxing, still is, right? When you look at your likes and your views and stuff like that. I think that was Snapchat. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I have a question for you. Um, you know, you said, well, we never saw ourselves as salespeople, but I don't say, why would you not see yourself as a salesperson? What's wrong with that word for you? Yeah, well, brilliant question again. Um, I don't know if this is more of a UK thing. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to think back through my career, which has been, what, about 25 years, I guess now. And I have worked internationally, but obviously... No, no, no. Just to answer the question, why do you think you're not, you, you get long-winded, so I'm going to cut you off. Stop. I do, I do, sorry. No, uh, <laughs> what, what, what was wrong with that word for you? Um, so, so here, it was a dirty word um, for a very yeah, long why? time. We have the same thing. We hear the same shit. Yeah. But why yeah, is it I a dirty word? For me, it was a lot of the people I've been exposed to and worked with. You know, not I hadn't worked with particularly good salespeople on the whole. Um, that's not to say everybody. Um, when I've been in previous roles, um, I didn't get particularly good training around sales. And it, it's interesting. So when, so we had this sort of almost, I'm thinking back, we had this bugbear about sales and it being not particularly genuine. So this is where I really struggled because it never felt authentic when I dealt with salespeople. And I was in buying roles for a long time as well. Right. So I was dealing and with was, a lot of sales. So let me put this, what I hear is I wasn't authentic as the buyer. So then that means the salesperson's <laughs> a shithead. That's what I just heard, Scott. Scott knows I'm on a rant. He's like, oh, shit, Richard, calm down. So don't beat him up too much, Richard. Don't beat I him know, up too I'm much. I'm going to pivot in a second. So, uh, but, I, but my point being is that I think it goes both ways. I think you're right. Like, there's a ton of bad salespeople. Out there. I mean, you know, the beautiful thing about sales now is that there's so much knowledge. And certainly the younger generation is way more eager to share experience, learn, and, and they can find it better than I could, right? Um, and, and possibly you. Now, do you consider yourself a salesperson? Uh, I do. I mean, I've, I've had friends telling me this for years. Like one of my best friends always like, I don't know why you say you're not a salesperson. When we constantly talk about like your passions for, for business, for whatever, and you're totally selling all the time about realizing yeah. it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I've listened to, to people like Scott and, 
um, his background and, and his book, Addicted to the Process, which is excellent. And, and actually, what I really love about Scott is he keeps it simple in, in a good way, is he boils it down and, and he's very straightforward. And, you know, I'm talking around the subject, as you mentioned, I am long-winded. I get it from my dad um, because I see a lot of nuance. And, and so making it black and white for me is quite difficult at times. But Yeah, the nuance, the nuance is, is tough, you know, as a, as a seller to kind of to get away from. And, and I think it's even harder sometimes for founders to get away from the nuance and all the kind of yeah, buts or the and ifs, right? Um, and I think just the ability to dumb things down and keep it simple as possible is a really important skill set for, for salespeople, for anybody in a training or teaching kind of role coaching kind of role um and something to something to work on you know for everybody even now you know i'm mm -hmm. i work with uh you know a dozen to two dozen clients at a time i'm i'm constantly trying to help people come up and, with and craft their pitch and you know I'll, I'll work on virtual's pitch for example and i'm trying to write the pitch for the first time and i'm like good lord this is way too long you know and then i have to go back and and be like okay, I can cut that, trim that, all that kind of thing. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. And you, you, you know, you're right. It's, it's, it's my, it's probably one of my biggest weaknesses is, is trying to be succinct. I always say it and, and my team know it very well. <laughs> Bless them. Um, I, had a, I had a boss many years ago, tell me 25% less, whatever it is you're saying, just cut it by 25%. And I still, I'm long-winded. Um, I think I've gotten better. But that that quote has been with me for decades now. Of like, that's I need that advice every day. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Do it. Um, I love to write. So that you know, from a sales perspective as well, in terms of copy, it, it, that that's an area where I've been really learning a lot in terms of chop it down. Because I I also want to write novels, which obviously need to be long and descriptive. But in the business world, no, shorten it down. Yeah, emails. That's why I'm a bullet point guy too. Like I know people don't like bullet points, but I need them because they help me keep it short and sweet. Um, that's my my own personal tactic. I want to talk to you a little bit about being an operational founder. Like I don't think I've Scott, have you talked to a lot of operational founders before? Versus... I've had I've had a couple operational founders. So before. what is that difference? Like I don't I've never thought about it that way till you said it out. So you know. How do you see yourself as an operational founder different than a technical founder, which, which is what I tend to run into the most? Yeah, I often think a tech, technical founder, and Zendra Harris often said, as being a co uh, coder, being able to write code you know, as, a as a technology business. Um, I've, I have managed tech teams in the past, so I understand, which you'd hope running a software business, that I understand technology and, and how it can operate and what it can do. But yeah, it's quite difficult because sometimes you... I, I could spend a lot of time at the beginning setting up all the frameworks for scale when we're not at that stage and sort of being like uber organized in terms of some of that um, for when we do start to recruit. So it has its pros and cons, but not in the early days. As you know, if I think back, I wish I'd spent more time sort of focusing around sales and learning how to sell properly. So actually finding Scott and Amy and the TNS community and people like Wayne, like I've only found you guys in like the last six months. And if I'd had that six years ago, God, yeah. we'd be so much further ahead. Now, we did do something probably four or five years ago called Sandler Training. My business partner had come across a guy at a breakfast and he came come in and, and basically got us on the course and really enjoyed it. Um, 
opened my eyes up to this different way of selling that I felt this is more in tune with what I believe is, is like finding somebody's pain, shutting up and listening, which I think is really, really key as a skill. You know, that's a big part of sales is knowing when to be quiet and to sit back and listen, because that's when we learn. And the same as anything in life, you know, even if you're meditating, you shut up, you listen, you be quiet, you start to learn from yourself inwardly. The same if you're out in nature, you shut up. So what, so what are you doing every day now as a COO? Uh, well, you're wearing different hats. So I'm, I'm focused a lot on sales. Um, I'm getting my, uh, I sort of split the roles in terms of Toby as the CEO is focused more on sort of like the investment side and building those relationships. I'm doing more of the relationship building on sales. He is doing some of that and in a different, uh, slightly different bent. Um, but also because we have a big client and there's ongoing renewals and, and projects, then I'm coaching the team and spending a lot of time sort of doing that. Um, you know, we, we're looking at, we, we have a, a new product that's coming to market that we've got a proof of concept for that we're, we're sort of doing some testing around um, as, as well as the ongoing iteration of the current product and, and where we want to continue to evolve that product market fit. So there's a lot of time sort of, I guess, CS to, to, to a degree and, and had an interesting conversation. I'll mention him again, Wayne Morris, and I know Kelsey mentioned this about there's a right balance as to when you introduce that as a company, as a startup. Um, and, and so there, there is a lot of hats, but more of my focus is, is constantly, right, I really need to nail sales and have a consistent process and, and be having that set up. Yeah. And, and yeah. We don't have a sales enablement platform at the moment. And, and so that's something I've been mm. looking at. Mm. So do you, are you finding it easier to navigate having multiple founders and potentially adding more co-founders? Or do you think that that, starts to muddy the water is it making decisions harder because you've got to come to a consensus and how the heck do you get six people to agree about anything no you're shaking your head no you're liking it yeah four people uh no because the four of us really have worked together for five years uh we have a a pretty what does that mean you agree on everything richard i have one co-founder richard and richard and i can't agree on everything how do you we need to maybe we need counseling richard Alan gets along with all three of his, all three of his, he agrees with all three of his co-founders all the time. Right. No, so, you know, certainly not. We, we do have our, um, we do have our, our disagreements and, but you know, like, like any relationships, they're respectful. People hear one another out. We have re- regular dialogue, which is important to the co-founders. Um, as I mentioned, they have their own business, so they're not full-time co-founders in a sense. Um, although they pretty much do a lot of, Almost full time work on. So the does business. that does that mean you carry fifty one percent of the vote? Yes. Yeah, so you know, ah, well, there's the answer, Scott. Give me fifty one percent. Yeah, yeah, over Toby over my I, cold dead body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Toby and I sort of tend. Well, you know, our, we take advice really more from the other two, um, and so there's more of an advisory role from their perspective. And and Toby and I really make the final decisions on most things. But we 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 take a lot of advice from uh, James and Lillian because there's so much expertise and experience though on, on the product side which is important how long did it take you to figure out a way to work well with your founders your co-founders like you know just talking about that relationship right like as much as we joke about it you know there are times when it's two against three right like that's the advantage of having you know an odd number is that that happens what happens though when you know someone's bringing up ideas and they're not being brought to fruition. Like how as founders do you guys 
work on the relationship side other than, hey, it's not personal, man. You know, like any advice you can give to, to people, because I think that dynamic is really important to understand, you know, beyond, well, you know, hey, it's two, two out of three majority wins. Yeah, um, well, again, I'll come back to, I guess, the way we, we validate products because we do this with everything. So we actually rebranded to virtual a year ago. It was a year ago yesterday as it happened. Um, and as part of the whole rebrand and what we looked at is we did a, a validation workshop and it's democratic. So it's structured in such a way as we're all coming forward with ideas and then we vote on them and, and then those and, and then we then go and validate that with customers. And when people have validated it, we've all agreed that that's the process. So we've all bought into it. We'll have discussions. If one of us really strongly disagrees with something, we'll have a discussion around it. Um, but it's a democratic process half the time, most of the time, half the time. That's just an expression. So all of the time. Um, and, and so we've, we've just all bought into that. Now, you know, we'll go and have a beer. We'll go and have a uh, stand-up argument with one another, so on and so forth. But there's so much respect for one another in our histories that... And we started off having a lot of arguments, actually, when um, we sort of coming out on the product side because Toby and I basically didn't understand the process. And so things like... Um, we were used to waterfall development rather than agile. And so at the beginning, there was a, a mismatch in terms of communication, in terms of there was an assumption that we knew more than we did. And that caused a bit of, of that. But we just solved it by just being straight up. You know, we, yeah. none of us like, we're all very similar. None of us like politics. So, you know, sometimes we won't be as forward in terms of coming forward and saying what we feel. And I, I have this problem because I don't like to... Um, piss people off too much or to hurt somebody's feelings so that means sometimes I can get too stressed because I'm not actually talking my truth and this is one of my things for this year you know I was following Scott's goals and some of what Amy said around journaling and stuff and I was like I need to own my truth more and and that means and and when I've done that with my co-founders it's it's I've been really surprised at the results so it's just you know forming these habits and just being very open and honest with one well it certainly helps if you're getting the decision positively reinforced <laughs> if it's if it's working to to kind of keep going with it. Um, I want to selfishly ask a question here, Richard. Go for it. Is that okay, Richard? Oh, dude, come on now. Yeah, I'm just making you sure. Know, you, I'm just mean, making I, sure. But we can, we're getting we're getting we're getting towards the end, and like this is this I, might be I'm the last question. Out. I'm happy to piss people off. Yeah, this might be the this, this might be the last last question that we have time for today. So we'll we'll see. You've got so much events experience, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Confirming here. That's what he said. So Richard and I obviously run events and events based event based based businesses. What advice would you have for us? Things that you've seen us do or others, if you can't speak to what we're up to, what advice would you have to kind of tighten things up, run a better process, scale it, whatever you want to call it? What have you seen that you could pass along? Yeah, again, another good question. I mean, I, without blowing smoke up your ass, I think you do a lot right. You, you know, event planning is the fifth most stressful job on the planet, and that's because there's a lot of moving parts. You're dealing with people, things change. Um, so really you need resource behind you um, to be able to do your main job. And, and for you, your main job is, is not necessarily running events. And I know you have a, a team of people that sort of help you and Amy 
behind the scenes. So that's really, really important. Um, being super organized um, and, and having a, you know, that checklist and, and sort of being razor focused around it, thinking about whatever can go wrong and having a backup. A lot of people just sort of think it'll be all right on the night, but and, yeah. and don't have a plan. So yeah, yeah. It's like really, really important. And that's difficult in the virtual world. And, and interestingly, I can't say too much about this, but this is something we're sort of working on because we've all been to virtual events. This, this is slightly, I'd call this different, but we're, we're in the virtual space. And so Go Virtual is the uh, hybrid and virtual events platform that we've been building for the last 12 months that we have a proof of concept of, because again, we'd spotted yeah. thing in, in the area and, and engagement is really, really difficult. So you need really, the one thing I'd have without giving too much away, because um, I wouldn't want to at this stage, but really think about how you engage people and keep them engaged. Um, I think you've done an incredible job with TNS on, on that score. So I don't think I'm going to be able to teach you too much, but just always be thinking about that and because things can go stale. Yeah. And you've been doing that for a year. I think it's great to blend that with the physical because after all, we are yeah. social. There's definitely something there for us to think about to because we've done surfing sales now for four four to five years i guess it is now to keep things fresh keep it moving keep everybody involved um and we don't really have a hybrid model right that's like an all in-person kind of thing so something for us to think about and learn from there richard it's funny because as he was talking i was thinking like what if we took like one session one of our 45 minute sessions and made it available in a live stream right? Where people could like, yeah. whether or not, you know, certainly try to run a comments and stuff like that, but just see like what that, ha- what that is. Yeah. A lot of yeah. people there who Great idea. Reported or they wondered about it and, mm-hmm. you know, just test that while we're on site. So um, that, that yeah. came into my mind. And then to your point, Alan, of like, there's no reason we couldn't do a surf and sales two or three hour event. Um, other than the fact that it's just a lot of work to put it together. It's not hard work, but it's just work to put it together um and is that our brand you know which is a different discussion too scott yeah that's really what we good good advice though good 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 advice get the get the wheels turning on our yeah. end yeah one other thing just on that and, and and i've heard you say actually you don't necessarily want to become an events company but um or that was i think more around tns but um if you think about the tedx and what they do is they have a very specific way of organizing an event and a lot of rules behind it but they then sort of franchise that out and you have to jump through all of the hoops and rules and regulations in order to run a tedx event so thinking about regionality and how you could reach more people and do stuff more regularly face to face there might be something in that in terms of thinking about right can we have a formula people have to follow this yeah but somebody can take this up take up the mantle and they can run with it but it's associated with with our brand yeah we did we did one of those in austin right before um the pandemic hit and it kind of it went great but you know we haven't really revisited it too much now but yeah all good all good ideas and and thoughts here so we gotta we gotta pivot towards wrapping up the show i want to thank our sponsors outreach sendoso and scratchpad uh once once again for uh outreach.io forward slash surf click.outreach.io slash surf yeah and richard has promised to cover 90 percent of the cost for everybody who clicks on that link and purchases outreach so right richard yeah 90 percent of the cost that was the number yeah yeah we uh we like to wrap up every show alan by 
by asking the question, how can we be helpful to you? Do you have any questions for us? So here we are. How can we be helpful? Well, I think you already are uh, in many ways. You know, the content you put out and, and your format works really, really well for me. Um, I know you're, you're available, Scott, in terms of your Patreon, which I subscribe to, to sort of text directly. And um, I, sort of, I haven't done that too much um, because I think a lot of what you offer already helps me a great deal. But, you know, I know in the future I can come to you. In terms of a question really fit for you too that I'm more interested in is I've found a place to go and learn in terms of areas where I'm short. What are probably the top three places that are big for you too in terms of where you go to learn? Ooh. You first, Scott. Yeah. Richard is going to have a better answer than me. I know it. He's more active than I am. Um, my immediate reaction was, I learn from the same places that you are learning from. I just happen to be sitting in a different chair at Thursday night sales or Patreon or whatever, but you know, my tequila Tuesday events, I think we're up to 45, 46 now different people that we've brought in who are experts in something. Mm -hmm. and that's a learning event for me just because I'm hosting. It doesn't mean I'm not learning. I don't I mean, yeah. you watch, watch me sometimes like I'm typing and writing notes, like, you know, like crazy and everything. And sometimes I even, publish the notes and then yeah. you know Thursday night sales I'm I'm learning I pay attention to all this slack questions being asked and you know the answers that <clears throat> people provide and the questions people ask kind of inform me of the pulse of the community and what matters to people which helps me kind of dig into different content and stuff like that and my third answer would be I think I just have individual people that I go to it more than a, a place or a community. It's more like I've got, you know, five, six people that I ask advice of or test a theory or shoot a dumb idea over to, um, you know, and, and that for me, where I'm at, that, that is probably the most impactful spot. Yeah. Um, well, I think I know everything, so it's hard for me to go somewhere and not. Um, you know. <laughs> oh, it's so true. Typical Gen Xer. Scott knows this about me. Uh, no, I think I've gotten better at it. So that's the first thing is I have I've been more willing. You know, I never had a coach, business coach, ever until right before the pandemic, and I picked up the phone and called someone, and and now we talk every Thursday. Um, Scott's been that for me. Our buddy Jeff has been that for me. Um, mm -hmm. I actually, interestingly enough, I have a prospect um, that uh, I was coming up with a new business idea. Scott knows the new idea I'm thinking of. And I went to her and I said, hey, I want to get your opinion on this because you're in sales enablement and learning. And no, I'm not trying to pitch you on it. And I said, you know, what would you do if I let you record my training since it's all virtual? Would you want it? Would it be worth extra? How much is it worth? And she was super open to it. So I think I've gotten better at willingness to ask. So that's the first thing. So one of it is my mindset. Where do I go? I need to go into my head and be willing to risk these things um, and be willing to be told I'm wrong. I've got another guy who's redoing my deck and I'm debating how to redo that, my workbooks. So I've got, so I'm getting outside advice that I didn't used to get from people I wouldn't have normally gotten it from. 
Um, Modern Sales Pros is a place that I spend a lot of time. Uh, LinkedIn, I think we spend in the same spots. Um, I also think my approach is a little more antagonistic on social stuff. Like I like to say stuff and then get people to disagree with me because I want them to test my own thinking. Um, see that <laughs> you know, um, and then it also just makes it more interesting too. Like, um, and I'll also, I'm, I've been known to go into comments and, and respectfully say, come on now, this isn't right. Look at it this way. So, um, mm. but that forces me to challenge my own belief system. Um, but those are the places, like, I don't, I don't have as many, I've got a ton of Slack channels. I've got a ton of uh, other groups, but I just can't spend that much time there. Like I just, you know, I either can't or I won't. I, you know, it could be, it could be I just won't, which is my own stubbornness. Good answers. Good question. Good question. Hey, we appreciate you uh, spending some time with us this evening, Alan. Thanks, Thanks for joining the show and best of luck to you and the team at, uh, at Virtual. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, so I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I think my handle is Alan R. Newton, uh, R for Robert, which is my father's name. Um, so there we go. That's probably the best place. Cool. That works. Scott, do you have any, you have any Liverpool sign-off chance that you want to give before uh, we hang I up? mean, I could sing the You Never Walk Alone song, but Alan probably knows all the words already. And, you know, Maybe I won't rub it in. It was an Evertonian who actually wrote the song as well. You probably know that. <laughs> it's neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. <laughs> all right, guys. All right. Alan, thanks, thanks so much, man. Guys. It's been fun. Yeah, take care. Have a good day.